Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. Welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk. How's everybody doing today? We have Kenobi, everybody, the the Kenobi in our chats, and we can't wait for him to get started again. He's a good friend of the show, some uh, somebody we've been friends with for a long time. Hello, Wednesday. I just changed some of the bot timers on here. Uh, we are going to continue our conversation today with... Um, wow, Druids. Sorry, I was writing something for the other thing that I'm doing, so I could just really quick show this when people pop in. Bring them over this way. Because we love people. See, like people. I just do this. So they can see it. Oh, I got to bring it back. There we go. Now you guys can kind of see it. There we go. Sorry. Here we go. Mrah, mrah, mrah. Welcome back to Doc Talks. We are going to talk more about druids today. And, of course, we're talking about D&D 5e. I just wanted to remind everybody that even though we do this thing where we, uh, we've been talking a lot about D&D, this isn't all about D&D. I've been playing tabletop games for a long time. There are quite a few of them out there, and we will talk about other ones. I guarantee when I get proficient enough, we'll probably have a conversation on the Rupture RPG where I will be honest and share my thoughts with you, even though they are our friends, and we welcome them wholeheartedly. I know that they're going to be starting up a new game, and if you're part of our Discord, they will be looking for players in that. So especially if you've never played Rupture RPG before, I kind of hinted to them that it'd be really good for the system to see somebody who's never played before, see how well they play, to see how easy of a game it is to pick up. There's a few things going on in the the world of NerdWorks Media. I should tell you guys that we did have a meeting. I haven't had a chance to turn it into a podcast yet. And the reason is because I lost my recording during it just automatically stopped um i don't know what happened i haven't repeated that even at bros and dragons last night but uh, episode two of from bs to cs will be up uh for those that don't know it's a bad word it means from bull to cool <laughs> trying to keep it pg hi everybody that's joined over here uh if you want to join us on twitch.tv forward slash nerdworks media and that's nerdworks with a u all one word. And again, speaking of Bros and Dragons, thanks for everybody who's coming out to those, watching the story, or watching afterwards, or waiting for it to come up on YouTube. This Friday, episode one officially gets released on podcast form. And I'm not sure if we're doing it weekly or bi-weekly yet, but we are a couple ahead. Uh, just as a reminder, there's a very, very, very big possibility that this upcoming Monday we are not going to be doing Bros and Dragons. I am going to probably come out, and in honor of our friend Kenobius Nook, I am going to play some Knights of the Old Republic, and we're going to go full Sith, because that's I just feel that's how the game was designed to be played. 
If you are coming up to Bros and Dragons, though, thank you very much. I very much appreciate it so much. Almost as much as I appreciate Wednesday subscribing again, her seventh month in a row. She's a champion. That's what Stream Elements is telling her. But I don't think you guys realize, when you work on something, whether it's art, whether it's any creative venture that you work on, when people come and support you, or like I put out there, our chat's open. I don't care if Mike puts a thing in there telling you not to talk. As long as the story's going forward, I encourage the players to look in the chat. If something sounds sketchy, I encourage you to tell them it sounds sketchy and lead them that way. And yes, Kenobi, I'm going Seth. I, I Full Seth. Full on Seth. We will show you what it is. What is this? In want of a weapon. It's beautiful. Everybody's saying the same thing. Wednesday, keep an eyeball on that for me, though. Hi, Presses Rogue. How you doing? Thank you very much for the raid. You guys are distracting me, and that's a good thing, and I love to be distracted. I also love that you all are saying the same things over and over again. But speaking of weapons in search of, let's jump back into Druids and talk about what they get. So... We're talking about Druids. This will be the final one. We're going to cover the last couple of circles here. But we always start these off with what everything has. It's a beautiful raid message. That's what made me go, hmm, I wonder what's going on. It's a beautiful message. I love it. It's gorgeous. It's very gorgeous. And Jane, I can't wait. I'm going to go look at that later. But I appreciate you all jumping in. Every druid starts with proficiency in light, medium, armor, as well as shields. As I've told you before, if you're running a campaign and you want to be a little bit more true to the campaign itself, or your druids want to be a little bit more true, I do have something called Ironwood that we made up about 15, 20 years ago. I can easily show you that and send you everything that you need with that as well. That's awesome that you play Druid, actually. I'm surprised I didn't start off with this. I started this podcast to answer questions, and I realized that a lot of questions I get are when people are confused about what they're playing. And, and Druid seems to be one of those, once you play it a few times, I think you get it, but it is kind of confusing. I'm sorry my dogs are barking. I did leave the window open, and that's my mistake. So you may hear doggos from time to time. Ironwood is, is a fantasy get-out-of-jail-free card. It's a wood. That's not really wood. It works like iron wood, uh, like iron woodwork, excuse me. That doesn't even sound right, but I think you're getting my point. And it, it, it could be shifted into anything that would be metal could be used with this wood. That way your druid can stay on top of it, and if they want to play true to a druid, you make it available for them. As DMs, we should never try to put what we think a druid should be as a foot down we should always talk to our players again dms don't be lazy build your characters with your players uh they you can get them more immersed but you know what they want and you can go from there the weapons way more specific with druids again clubs daggers darts javelins maces quarterstaff scimitar sickles slings and spears it's not one of those coverall simple weapons or uh certain martial weapons or whatever these are the ones that they have and again dms dungeon masters a lot of acronyms have been called out on that lately i'm going to try to use more of the real words 
dungeon masters, please make sure that you have these available for them, for their characters to enjoy as much as anything else that's in there. One of the unique things is they get a proficiency with herbalism kits. And again, we went over this. If you go to page 187 of the player's handbook and look in there, there's your rules of downtime. Part of them is making potions. And in making potions, we talk about herbalism kits. Herbalism kits traditionally come with everything you need to create potions and remedies, such as antitoxins and potions of healing. Your dungeon master could do more than that, but dungeon masters try not to do less than that. Allow them to do that. They want to create in this world as much as you create in this world. All druids speak druidic. It's a great language because it can't be really learned unless you're a druid. There's something in the magic of Gaia and nature that gives us these things. It is a second, or it is a secret language. If you're looking for it, it's a DC 15 perception check to even notice it. But even if you notice it, you can't decipher it without magic. And even magic is temporary. All druids are divine casters. That means they go all the way to the max level, which is ninth level here, which there's lore about why we're at ninth level. Thank you for the follow. And uh, it's very interesting about how 12th level spells almost destroyed the universe, and so the gods got together and decided to cap it at ninth level. But since they have this, it's very interesting on the way that they play. So... Normally, a wizard, as a full caster, when he runs out of spells, he has to fall back on his, he or she, excuse me, I, I, I say he, and again, I, I should make this because there's a lot of new people here. I try not to say he, but when I'm speaking, it's easier for me to think about the characters I would make, and most of them would be he's. But a wizard is specifically a caster, so when they run out of spells, they can jump back to their cantrips. A cleric can jump back to their cantrips and jump back to being in full armor a lot of times, or really good armor, and just hitting things. They're not bad at hitting things, <laughs> the melee of it. They don't get anything special, but they don't run out of things to do. Druids will run out of spell slots, fall back to hitting, but also have other things as well. As an example, all druids have wild shape. And simply put, twice a day, for hours equal to half of the druid level rounded down, Druid has a lot of reading to it if you're going to play it. If you're new to Dungeons & Dragons or other components, try to pick a simpler thing to start off with. But if you get into it and you read through it, it takes a lot of reading. It takes a little bit of know-how to get through it. But all Druids uh, have this wild shape ability. And so basically twice a day for a number of hours, again, like I said, <clears throat> there's a limited CR of the monster. And CR stands for, uh, wow, that one jumped out at me. Anybody? Uh, challenge rating, excuse me. It's a challenge rating uh, as well as it has other limitations like no flying or swimming at the very beginning. When you shift, some of your stuff changes. You keep your intelligence, your wisdom, and your charisma, but the other three skills change to the animal. You get a new AC and a new hit point. that doesn't affect your hit points unless you take certain circles. There's other things that are in there. I would remind you that you cannot cast spells early on with Wild Shape until you get to uh, Beast Spells, which are, again, up there. I think it's 18th level. I haven't got to that part of my notes yet. But, as I tell everybody, you can 
con- you can put a concentration spell up and then beast shape and keep it up. You can maintain concentration. Just follows the rules of concentration. Read through all of what it does. Look at the downfalls of it, but it gives you more options. Every druid gets approved wild shape as they go at 4th and 8th level, so the limitations of swimming will go away, and then there'll be no limitations at 8th, and your CRs will go up that you can do as well. Timeless body at 18th level, every druid gets. Again, cool for RP, not really a combat thing, but for every 10 years of in-game time, the druid only ages one year of time. And then as I was saying, at 18th level you get beast spells, Specifically in beast form or wild shape form, you can cast spells with somatic and or verbal components, but nothing with material components. And again, that's dungeon master proficient. We're just talking about the rules in the book. At 20th level, you get to wild shape an unlimited number of times. So last week we covered dreams, uh, circle of dreams, circle of spores, circle of stars. We're doing these in alphabetical order. And we're going to travel to the other circle. So we're going to cover, cover first off circle of wildfire. Those have been playing for a while like, hey, where's the land? Where's the moon? Exactly. It's the land, the moon, which, you know, alphabetical stuff. So as we talk about circuit, circle of wildfire, I will tell you it's in Tasha's Cauldron book, uh, the newest one, Cauldron of Everything from Tasha, or Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. It's is very unique, very robust. As more stuff comes out, it becomes better. For lack of a better term, it becomes better. This is a very versatile druid circle. Basically, the mantra is destruction brings creation. Along with all the other things you get at second level when you take this circle, or when you fulfill the circle, or if you are like some people and role play into this circle, which would be great, you basically become attached to a primal, excuse me, a primal soul spirit, another soul. It allows you to use your wild shape for something other than beast form. Like other ones allowed us to do the same. This one is connected to the spirit. Also, if you're like some of us that role play a lot, this allows you to have your very own Patronus. You get to choose what it is. It's really neat. It's a neat concept. I highly recommend taking some time to figure it out. This wild shape spirit, we're going to call it a soul spirit, has its own AC, its own HP. It has speed, including fly speed. It has immunities. It has scores. It has actions, including teleportation. There's a lot here. If you go to play the Circle of Wildfire because you want all of this stuff, I wouldn't put it past most dungeon masters that have play either played in the past and getting back into it or are just getting into it to put a little restrictions on that and there's nothing wrong with that just hear them out and have a conversation with them for rules is written it has all this it's amazing it gives you something in and out of combat to use it gives you something in and out of role play to use this isn't a decorative piece it actually does stuff at sixth level you get something called Enhanced Bond. So basically the spirit connect to you becomes very strong, or stronger, I should say. And so basically, mechanically speaking, when you cast a fire spell or you cast a healing spell and it uses spell slots, you get to add another D8 to the healing or the, the fire damage. 
And you gain a bonus equal to the number rolled on one damage or healing roll of the spell. These spells, and this is a neat little extra thing, can come from that spirit, the soul spirit, that's connected to you as well. And it can be a good distance away from you, if I'm not mistaken. It can be up to 120 feet. At 10th level, cauterizing flames. Interesting. Enough isn't what it sounds like. So basically, if something dies, or shall we say it releases a soul, the soul becomes magic that the wildfire druid could use. As long as a creature is not a tiny creature, so it has to be smaller or larger, and it dies within 30 feet of you or your spirit, you can use, I believe it's the reaction to use this, but little spectral flames will spark up out of the dead creature. It either deals fire damage or heals creatures as a reaction, there it is, for 2d10 plus wisdom modifier, and if you have your spirit out at the time, it's another d8 on top of that, to creatures that end their turn in this area. The limit of this is, again, you can only do this the amount of times of your... Um, uh, your proficiency modifier. So if your proficiency score is a three, you could do this three times every long rest. But you use your wild shape, uh, excuse me, if you use your wild shape to have that out, you use this reaction. It's pretty, it's almost overpowering because if you think about it, say you have a wisdom, we'll save three. That's our average, right? You have a max of 23 without your spirit out, and you have a max of 31 with your with your with the spirit out. <laughs> of damage or healing is a good chunk of change. That's more than most healers can heal. Blazing revival. Short story: if you would drop to zero, or your druid, excuse me, would drop to zero, the spirit drops to zero instead. You go up to half. You can only do this once per long rest, but it is something that keeps you in the fight. There are spells with this circle, too. We've talked about it. Some of them don't. And they are what you would think they are, is a mixture of healing spells and fire spells. So at second level, you get burning hands and cure wounds. At third level, you get flaming sphere and scorching ray. At fifth level, you get plant growth, which... Even though it's not a fire spell, falls into the destruction before creation and revivify. At seventh level, aura of life and fire shield. And at ninth level, uh, flame strike and mass cure wounds. In the end, Mike had probably the best one of these that I've seen. Him and I played brothers. I was a barbarian. He was a circle of the wildfire. Um, my barbarian's brother who was reborn in the heat of lava and flames, and again, his barbarian brother, who over time got few things to help him negate some fire damage. He went with him everywhere because his brother was where the fun was. And whatever his brother was doing, he was doing. That was my connection to every group. But this druid knows that destruction is just the beginning of great new things. So you can actually play this to be more of a moral support druid for the entire party. Always kind of bright side. Understand that bad things come, but they're also opening up for the new things. And it gives you quite a few things that you could do for role-playing. Somebody's backing a truck up, but it doesn't have a beep, and it sounds like a bird. That's very rhythmic. Sorry. 
distraction. <laughs> We're going to move over to Circle of the Land Druids. This one's in the player's handbook. It's shorter. There's not a lot to it. But again, remember, this was one of the first ones put out. This is before they started getting, um, shall we say, a little bit more frisky with what they put out or a little bit more dangerous. And when you're playing these things, remember to, and, and I've said it before, have a little bit of thought process about, like, if you're just destroying the DM's game, the table's for everybody to have fun. So if the dungeon master isn't having fun, you know, we you might want to sit down and talk about maybe nerfing yours or allowing your dungeon master to throw bigger things at you. At second level, you learn an additional druid cantrip. Very specific, and they can be very helpful. A lot of times, druids have a hard time picking just a few, which is an interesting thing to run into. At second level, you get natural recovery in Circle of the Land. You can meditate with nature, and during a short rest, expend some, um, or excuse me, get back some spell slots that you expended. You can do this once every long rest, I think. So only one short rest between long rests. You're going to notice that the circle of the land is more set to spells than it is the wild shape. And it kind of was a thought process when this came out. There are a circle of spells associated with land types that you choose that your druid is associated to on their own. We're not going to go through all of the list, but if you go into the player's handbook into the druid section, they kind of fit the theme. So the Arctic um, environment is more cold spells. They, they fit where they are, at least as best as they can, I think. Sixth level, Landstride. Non-magical, difficult terrain costs no extra movement to move through. Natural plants that would slow you down or do damage to you do not if you are in the land that you are associated with. For a lot of us today and a lot of DMs that have got a little bit more lax, you're not going to see a lot of this. It's not going to affect anything unless you're tracking something or it's time sensitive and you go through areas. I wouldn't uh, I would not restrict this as a dungeon master. Make it any kind of land or things like that, especially in chases, like you normally would. But if characters have stuff that can negate that, allow them to do that. It's part of their character, part of the creation. At 10th level, you get Nature's Ward. Basically, you can't be charmed or frightened by elementals or fays, and you're immune to poison and disease. 10th level is kind of, when you go to pick a character, that's what you want to look at, what you're going to have at 10th level. It's very, very often... Somewhere between 9th and 12th level is where a lot, of, a lot of campaigns end. Some go further. That's DM-dependent, story-dependent, player-dependent. So just know that when you go into this. So when you look at these, 10th level is the one you really want to see what you look like at 10th level. If you do make it to 14th level, uh, Nature's Sanctuary. Creatures of the natural world sense your connection. And they're hesitant to attack you. So basically, they have to make a wisdom save, a wisdom saving throw against you. Or they have to choose another target or it misses. It's kind of like Sanctuary. The creature is aware of this effect before they attack. 
There you go. Yeah. Well, that is Circle of the Land Druid has that. Um, but anyways, if a creature, even though a creature is aware of this, if they succeed at their saving throw, it doesn't affect them for 24 hours. This, this is a druid that doesn't understand, and I'm going to call them idiots because I grew up on a farm and then I lived in Chicago for a little bit. They see the balance in uh, the perseverance, the perseverance in nature, not in nature and civilization, as we talked about before. They will travel more to teach people or even to be with friends, but care less for anything else. And if you're new here and you're wondering why I'm mentioning that, it's because a lot of times we don't understand that. Why is my character still with this party is a very good question. And if asked, it's very appropriate. will stop you from the arguments later on or stop you from having a table fall apart. It's just a matter of just being there and being open. I am very much against anybody out there who would be like, I'm doing it because my character would do it, but not really have a reason to why my character would do it against the group that he's traveling with or something that makes sense. Our characters are allowed to grow. Allow them to grow. They may have started by stealing from everybody because that's how they survived, but how would they feel if they finally started feeling safe around people? These are things that we have to look at. <sighs> Excuse me. The next one we're going to jump into is Circle of the Moon, also in the player's handbook. This is a combat wild shape, is the best thing to put in this. In fact, at second level, you get combat wild shape. The Druid Circle really concentrates on wild shape. Um, and I love that it concentrates on wild shape and it's called the Circle of the Moon because, ow! Uh, but instead of being an action, now your wild shape is a bonus action. And. I've been saying this for a while now, so this one's interesting, that you can actually cast a concentration spell and bonus action wild shape in the same turn, and now everything fits together. Also, when you're in the form of wild shape, you can expend spell slots and regain 1d8 per spell slot level spent this way back. So you get HP back. A lot of this goes into your wild shape form. Raw. I don't know why I can't imagine. Another thing that happens at second level is you get circle forms. And yes, more dangerous. CR1 is your cap. You have to follow the limitations other than that. And things have changed. You have to read about that. But what you can turn into is bigger, better, and more dangerous. You still get the other stuff too. So you still have all the other, uh, shall we say, tools in your in your repertoire. Because you don't get rid of that. And the cool part is this one, uh, Circle Forms in, in, in Circle of the Moon, your CR of what you turn into is your Druid level divided by three. And then if you have to round, round down. It's that. It sounds simple. It's not. I encourage anybody playing Druids to have the things turned into. I said this in... When I first started talking about druids, the first and then last podcast as well, but it's kind of important. Don't allow your characters to be any animal. Give them less options, but let the options be useful and, and, and spread out. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because 
the more options they have, the less likely they are to be ready. And part of running a game in Dungeons and Dragons, part of playing any tabletop is to keep the game moving. You don't want to pause the game to talk about something that's not even a factor or anything that should be even talked about. It, it Let the game go as easy as possible. At 6th level, you're going to get Primal Strike. Basically, for the reasons of getting past, mag or getting past resistances, your beast attacks are now considered magical. Doggos. <laughs> at 10th level, Elemental Wild Shape. Expending two uses of Wild Shape at once. You can transform into an Air, Earth, Fire, or Water Elemental. We can go a little further. We're going to go to 14th. You get to cast Alter Self at will on yourself to change little things about you. You're just a changing machine, but more importantly, you can change and become whatever beast is needed at the time. This is a druid that thinks people, all people, need to know more about animals. Things would be better if we acted more like animals, but they would have friends. They, they, the balance is still a thing you'd have to discuss with yourself and your dungeon master about what it is. I think this is also a druid that would prefer being an animal at any time more than anything else. The final one is Circle of the Shepherd. This one's found in Xanathar's Guide. Xanathar's Guide to Everything. When I first heard of this, I thought it was going to be more like a leader of a church without the preaching part, if that makes sense. Everyone is, they need to protect everyone. And you could play it like that, absolutely. But that, though it is kind of correct and what way it was hinting, um, pretty much this druid is not popular. It doesn't like being around people. So keep that in mind when you build a shepherd. At second level, you get Speech of the Woods. You learn Sylvan fully. But along with that, Beasts understand your speech, and you can decipher around their meaning of their noises and motions, what they're trying to communicate. This is really interesting. This druid is basically um, connected to the spirit of the animals. And so, somebody's cutting down a tree. Jeez. <laughs> Excuse me, but it's crazy. So basically... Though you can decipher their meaning, remember, Dungeon Masters, that every animal has an intelligence score and you can't communicate above your intelligence score. But have some fun with it. If you want to Rick and Morty squirrel your world, go nuts. It's, it's not without, the, without its abilities. At second level, you also gain something called a spirit totem. You're in touch with animal spirits. And so now you can actually... Call them to you. Summon them. A beer, bear spirit, and it gives you three. You can always make more. You can limit them as well, but I always be careful limiting. Be careful adding more as well. But a bear spirit that comes will give every uh, temporary hit points five plus the druid level in temporary hit points. And then it also gives us advantage on strength checks and strength saving rolls. 
we can see where this can come in handy. You can summon a hawk spirit. Use your reaction to give advantage to attacks against a target within the spirit's radius. Your allies also have advantage on perception checks, wisdom perception checks specifically in the aura. As we talked about before, every skill check doesn't need to be associated with a certain skill, even though they mostly are. There's a variant rule, so be careful how you interpret that. And be ready for it if you're going to use that variant rule. And the third spirit is a unicorn spirit. You and your allies get advantages on ability checks made to detect creatures. That's cool, but it also restores hit points. If a spell was used to heal any creature inside or even outside the aura, each creature in the aura that you choose regains hit points uh, equal to your druid level. So a little bit of extra healing, even if somebody's outside you, hit them with the healing spell or the um, more, more importantly, it wouldn't be a healing word to be. Well, it would be a healing word because you want to be in there, but you get to dictate inside the spirit spell. Who else gets a little bit extra? At 6th level, you get Mighty Summoner. Beasts and Fae that are summoned or created to you by a spell that you cast have extra stuff. So they get 2 hit points per hit die and damage is considered magical to overcome uh, resistances. I want to explain this. Uh, Dungeon Masters, when you're looking through different monster manuals or even you know the different monsters in each one of the other books on the top it tells you what the average hit point is and then it tells you what the hit dice are for that creature it's important if you're trying to do it quick always use the average and the average is not bad but knowing the the hit dice or even looking it up later can help you when you have somebody who just knows everything that's going on right and so we can pay attention to this. And it's kind of important. This, you have to do a little bit of math because if there's 10 hit dice, they get 20 extra hit points. And then you add that to the hit points of those summoned creatures. You can be prepared for this as well. Don't leave everything to chance and randomness at the very end. Have an idea of what you want to summon. At 10th level, you get Guardian Spirit. Your Spirit Totem is now a safeguard uh, for the beast and fae that you call. If the beast and fae end their turn within the Spirit Totem's, uh, totems, Spirit totems aura, they regain hit points equal to half your druid level. At this point, the minimum would be 5. 14th level... If you make it that far, faithful summons. The spirits you commune with protect you when you are at your most defenseless. What does that mean? Mechanically, if you're reduced to zero or incapacitated against your will, your spirit basically casts conjure animals at ninth level. There's limitations, uh, but it really is a thing that happens and they protect you. You can only do this once per long rest, but it, it gives you a little bit more in-game scenarios. A, a way to possibly bring people back from the brink of death. Thank you. This druid joins a group, maybe even against its will, if you want to play that way. Like, I don't want to be here, but the spirits want me to be here. 
Maybe there's something the spirits see. I think that would be a little fun way to do it. But honestly, they may or may not want to be there. It would add a little bit of role-play fun. Don't go crazy. You're not making real life because magic. Druids are a lot of fun. And I do get a lot of questions of, of why play a druid. But my question always back, no matter what you're playing, is why is your PC with that group? These are hard questions to answer, and as you saw in a lot of mine, I'm, I'm giving you reasons that somebody would be with the group, why they would continue on with the group. And if you want to play a traditional druid, it becomes even more difficult. Now, if there was a cataclysm that caused that druid to be friends with a fighter, you know, the, the best friends that shouldn't be best friends because they have nothing in common thought process. It could totally happen, and there could be a world event that brought them together. We have to concentrate on that. Once in a while, we have to stop and ask these questions of the party. As a dungeon master or a storyteller or whatever I am in any game that I play, it's important for me to know why everybody is playing in there, why that character is with that group. I don't want them to lose sight of that they have a goal that's semi-together with the rest of the group. It's something important, and if your dungeon master is not doing it, you really should as well. Just have that super quick conversation. It does not need to be long. And we don't want anybody to spill their secrets during this either. But just make sure that everybody's there having fun together, and a good way to have fun is to make sure that you beat the problems out. Don't make your table toxic. We've talked about that in other Doc Talks. The point of these games is to have fun. To tell a collective story using a set of rules that everybody can use together. <laughs> when we are doing this, the game is great. I've seen games fall apart because the dungeon master is trying to do too much. Or players just get way out the whack or try to do stuff. Uh, one of the things that really gets me is when somebody tells me even my dungeon master doesn't know this. Well, that is terrible. It's honestly terrible. It's fine if a dungeon master forgets. One of my favorite things in any game that I've seen, been a part of, or even watched, I will tell you was in Critical Role when Laura Bailey beat Matt Mercer with something that he gave her that he forgot he gave her. But that's perfect. That should be part of it. It's okay to hold on to something for a very long time and use it later when the Dungeon Master doesn't remember. Because that's more organic. As a Dungeon Master, I shouldn't know everything that's going to happen. I will, but I have to remember that I have to allow my characters and even the things that they're trying to destroy or work with not to know things. It's difficult. We've had this conversation before. But when the game's more organic like that, it becomes a lot of fun. And it is okay to win like that. As I've said before, Dungeon Masters, it's fine if they won or two round one of your big bats. Do not punish them for that. There's ways to do that, make combats longer for those groups that want to be a little bit more heavy combat. There's little tricks that I've learned that we don't use a lot of. It's just one big bat is never a thing. There's always minions, and we don't have the minion col uh, columns anymore. But you can make minions. You can make it difficult. CR levels are just 
things that could happen. And it is fine for you to have something in place in case you have to bail them out because something you decided to do was way tougher than what you thought it was going to be. The game's flexible. The rules are guidelines. Druids are amazing. I honestly don't remember what's next, but whatever it is we will do next week. Thank you all for joining me. I do love you all. Please, if you're not part of our Discord, come on in. Be part of the group and the amazing people that are there. It is a wonderful, supportive place. There are rules. Take them seriously because we do. For everybody, all the love that you've given me, especially Precious Rogue, uh, is it Mardette that and the eye is watching that followed? I appreciate it. I'm so glad you guys are here. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to ask me via email at our new website at nerdworksmedia.com or even in our Discord. But for now, I love you all. Keep it nerdy and live your dreams. Later! This has been a NerdWorks production.